intern has done well this morning. Do you have a first name? Hunter. I, th I thought it was just the intern. I don't think Hunter likes me. He is, he is from Edmond and he is a student at Oklahoma Christian. So we kind of have a bond. And my sister, who is on staff there, uh, knows, knows Hunter. And she told me, Hunter, to treat, treat you better. So you better tell her I did. OK. And this is really nice. You would have had to have been here last week to kind of understand this. But I am going to sit it. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Coach Stallings had already taken care of me. He uh, came by Monday morning. Uh, what's that? It says it's on. It also says low battery. I, I can do my best to stand right here. That's okay. That's all right. If I forget, just somebody say, get back where you belong. Anyway, Coach Stallings took care of me as well. Monday morning, uh, he came by and presented. <laughs> now, there is something about this watch it is an Alabama Crimson Tide watch. <laughs> and Coach Stallings knows I'm from Oklahoma, and so I'm an Oklahoma fan. And I told him if anybody from Oklahoma sees me wearing this watch, this A stands for Ada. <laughs> but that's all right. So I have now a watch and a clock. Uh, right here on the, on the front row. I, I'm still just kind of basking in the joy of, of being here uh, in Paris and with this church. And each Sunday before I've stepped up to preach, I've just stood there and looked and just get overwhelmed with emotion. And I... I assume at some point that will kind of stop and we'll all be kind of normal, but uh, maybe it won't. I guess that's okay, but it has been such a, another wonderful week of kind of running into to some of you folks just out in the community, and that, that didn't always happen in Oklahoma City, and uh, seeing each other and kind of catching up during the week, and it's just been uh, such a joy. Uh, Lori and I were able to close on our home here uh, Friday afternoon, and she has allowed me to bring from Oklahoma City a card table with four chairs. <laughs> so I can entertain three people. And so over the next two or three weeks, if three of you want to come out, just come on out. We, we don't have cell service out there yet. Uh, hopefully that'll occur tomorrow, but it's, it's a wonderful uh, place to, uh, to entertain, and so we're looking forward uh, to finally being a little settled and 
uh, having, having the church out, maybe not all at once, but at least uh, through uh, some stages. But anyway, still, I, I still need to ask you to put on your prayer list uh, our home in, in Oklahoma City. Uh, it, would, it would really be nice if that house would sell especially before September 1st when I will have two house payments. Uh, so anyway, uh, it'll sell uh, eventually. But it's, uh, again, just a blessing uh, to be here uh, today. Two weeks from today will be a very special uh, Sunday uh, here at, at Lamar Avenue. Uh, one of our own, uh, DJ Bulls, will be with us, and I'm sure... This church knows that DJ is one of the uh, best, in, in my opinion, the best worship leaders that we have in our brotherhood. And if you'll look to my right, you'll re remember that the first prong of our vision statement is connecting with God. And one way we can do that is what we do together as a church family uh, on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings when we gather uh, to worship our God uh, together. And on that Sunday, DJ will be focusing upon worship. He will teach a combined uh, auditorium class, will lead worship, and then preach about uh, worship. And there will be a barbecue-catered meal following our assembly that day. And DJ will uh, speak to us once again very briefly uh, after our meal about worship. So there will be more announcements about that uh, Wednesday night and, and next Sunday. But I uh, just wanted to mention that this morning uh, to force all begin to pray about and make plans uh, to be here uh, for that very special uh, Sunday. And I'm excited that Brent Nichols uh, will be with us Wednesday night. Brent and I knew each other uh, in Edmond, met Brent probably 15 years ago when he was on staff at the Edmond uh, Church of Christ. In fact, about a year and a half ago when Je uh, Brent returned from the mission field, I tried to hire him at Mayfair. And uh, after some prayer and, and deliberation, uh, he decided that wasn't best for himself and his, and his family uh, now. And I'm going to remind Brent of that when he uh, is here Wednesday evening, but please, please be back on, on Wednesday night uh, to uh, hear uh, Brent. Edward Everett Hale, the distinguished poet and former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, who lived from 1822 until 1909, I believe very eloquently captured the essence of every Christian's responsibility in what I believe is really the focus of our text this morning from Ephesians 4. This is what Hale said. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do that I ought to do, and what I ought to do by the grace of God I shall do. Now, I am really wanting to step around to the front of the pulpit, but I can't, okay, this morning. We have been working our way through 
Ephesians chapter 4. And the purpose of Ephesians 4, as Paul first wrote to the Christians in the ancient city of Ephesus, was to demonstrate that the church is to be a community. We are a family. And through our common bond in Jesus, we have a workable formula for unity. And we can actually be what God desires his church to be. In our first two lessons, we have covered uh, verses 1 through 6. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul argues that Christians exist not to create unity, but to confess it. It is the Holy Spirit, Paul says, that really creates the unity and we are to maintain it or we are to exhibit it in our Christian lives. Last Sunday from Ephesians 4 verses 4 through 6, Paul declares that this community that we are a part of arises not only from how we behave, verses 1 through 3, but also from what we believe. And last week we uh, noticed how Paul lists seven ones and how these seven things uh, create for us a, a platform, a, a theological platform, a doctrinal platform that we can come together uh, based upon our convictions over these uh, seven items that we can collectively, again, be a unified body. Well, this morning we want to cover a, a longer section of chapter 4, and we're going to be studying verses 7 uh, through 16 uh, this morning. And in this section, Paul advocates that unity is enriched through the diversity and distribution of gifts. In other words, Paul is going to continue his argument for unity within the community, or as a family, we can be a unified body, not only through how we behave and through what we believe, but also through each of us contributing to the unity of the body. And we're going to get into this text more in, in just a moment. But let me, let me point out just a, a couple of things about uh, the text uh, itself. If you look at verse 7, and then you look at verse 16, you're going to see a common phrase. The NIV translates this phrase as each one. So this section begins with each one, and it ends with each one, and that is an inclusio, or a bracketed section of, of Scripture. And I think the reason Paul does that is to impress upon us the importance of each one of us. And so that should signal for us that Paul's primary point in these verses is each one of us has a role to play. Each one of us has a part to fulfill in the body of Christ and within our context locally here at the Lamar uh, Avenue uh, congregation. These verses are also linked to the first six verses through the use of the word unity. You might remember in our very first lesson uh, way back in May. It seems 
somewhat like a long time ago, uh, we see uh, the word unity in verse uh, 3. We're going to read it again in verse 13. It's the only two times in the entire New Testament that this word is used, and, it, and it's derived from the Greek word for one. And so again, Paul is emphasizing the oneness that we are to experience and exhibit as uh, the body of, of Christ. And so let's begin uh, by looking, first of all, at the first uh, section of verses 7 through uh, 16, and that is verses uh, 7 through 10, and whoever's back there in the control room, I don't have the clicker, so I'll let uh, you advance the slides. But in verses 7 through 10, Paul's point is Christ presents grace to every Christian. Listen to what he says. For to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Three things from this uh, uh, opening section of Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. First of all, Paul says that Jesus has given grace to each one of us. Right? Now, Paul does something a little different here with the word grace. Right? In chapter 2, he speaks of grace as saving grace. In chapter 2, verse 5, and in chapter 2, verse 8. He emphasizes how God's grace through Jesus has saved us. How God took the initiative to do for us what we could not do on our own. And that is to experience salvation uh, through Jesus. But here he uses grace more as equipping grace. Uh, in fact, we could probably substitute the word gift or even ministry. In fact, Paul's going to do that as this text uh, continues. And so every Christian has received grace and has a ministry, we'll see in just a moment, to help build up the church. Jesus is the one who determines what the gifts are. Jesus allots or assigns these gifts to every single Christian. No one has been left out. Every one of us has a contribution uh, to make. And I think it's important for us to, to understand this. Value is not determined by the type of gift, but by the use of the gift. I mean, it's one thing to have a gift, but if we don't use it, how does it contribute, right? Okay, so again, the importance here is not so much what gift we might have as it is to use the gift. Now, Paul in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and even to some degree in our text this morning, often uses our physical body as a metaphor for the spiritual body that we are a part of. Right? And, and he talks how you know, our physical bodies kind of, works together. And if every part is working as it should, right, we're healthy. And we live and we experience life 
to its fullest. And maybe we don't think of each individual part of our physical bodies as being valuable. Uh, this past Friday, I stepped over here to Walgreens, and I had a basket full of things. Paper plates, plastic forks, cups, plastic paper cups, that, that type of thing. Some cleaning things, uh, things of that nature. And the cashier was a very nice lady, and she was right-handed, but she had these two fingers taped up. And she was really struggling, you know, to, to help get all of my stuff into the various bags. And, and I said, you're having to work extra hard at this. And she said, yeah, who would have thought that those two fingers are so important? All, right. all of a sudden, those two, those two fingers, because she couldn't use them, and it was affecting the performance of her, of her job, she didn't realize just how valuable those two fingers are. And so, again, that kind of illustrates what Paul is emphasizing here. Some of us may have more visible kinds of gifts. Some of us have uh, kind of behind-the-scenes kind, kinds of gifts. But each gift and each contribution that we can make is so valuable. Before Paul moves to the next section here uh, in chapter 4, he gives a little proof, we might say, as, as to why Jesus has the authority to distribute these various gifts. He seems to quote from Psalm 68, uh, 18, in its original context, emphasizes uh, the power that God has to go forth on behalf of his people, conquer enemies, and then give those gifts to his people. And so in the same kind of way, Jesus has the authority as our victorious Savior to give these gifts. And then Paul has a little parenthetical statement, again emphasizing uh, the glory and the power that Jesus has with this somewhat poetic uh, language of descending, ascending, being coronated, I believe it's just uh, illustrating or a metaphor for Christ's incarnation, becoming one of us, living, dying for us, being resurrected from the dead, ascending back uh, to the Father in a very exalted and glorified state. So his point is, Jesus has the authority to gift his church as needed. And again, no one, has been uh, left out. In the second section of verses 7 through 16, verses 11 through 13, Paul goes on to say that Christ provides equippers for his church. These equippers are leaders among uh, God's people, and he lists uh, five of these groups of, of people who are leaders among uh, God's people, and they exist to help the church be equipped. He mentions apostles, uh, literally one who has been sent or dispatched as an authoritative representative. Paul most likely has himself and perhaps the 12 uh, in mind here, even though the word 
can actually be used in reference to others in the New Testament uh, beyond just uh, the 12, Matthias, uh, and Paul. He mentions prophets, those who faithfully speak a divine message from God, evangelists, those involved in the proclamation and preaching uh, of the gospel, pastors, literally uh, shepherds, uh, elders, bishops. These terms are uh, synonymous, those who nurture, care, and guide uh, the church. And then teachers, those who uh, are gifted uh, to transmit, expound, interpret, apply uh, the word of God. And Paul then says the responsibility of these leaders is to prepare other Christians. And so this responsibility is the notion, to, to borrow Paul's language, of making complete or, again, equipping. Uh, maybe a modern term or a modern concept would be that of mentoring. You know, there, there's a big movement, or, or the word I like, coaching. Uh, you hear that word coaching a lot in the business world or the secular world, mentors, teachers, leaders, those who are helping others to be uh, better equipped. And so the role of these gifts that Christ has given uh, to the church is to prepare, to train, to perfect. And what are these other Christians equipped to do? Paul mentions two things, the work of ministry and the building up of the body. And I think it's interesting that when he says uh, the work of ministry, he uses the singular. He doesn't literally, the NIV says works, it's literally work. And I think, again, that's Paul's kind of subtle way of emphasizing there's really only one work. There are a lot of tasks, a lot of gifts have been given. We're all perhaps equipped to do different things, but there's really only work, one work. And it's the work of ministry. Four, secondly, the building up of the body. Paul uses that concept of building up quite frequently uh, in his letters. And it's literally the idea of constructing a home and building things up and being sure there is a solid foundation and uh, being sure everything is measured just right and the, the building and the plan uh, is brought to uh, completion. So in this section, again, Paul is emphasizing that there, there is this group of leaders among us that, that God or Christ has placed within the body to help the body do the work of ministry to build the body up. And then the section concludes with Christ promoting growth uh, through his church. When, when everything comes together, right? when each of us are contributing, when our leaders, our, or our mentors are coaching us, equipping us as we collectively do this work of, of ministry, this is what occurs. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, literally truthing with each other uh, in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him 
who is the head that is Christ, from him the whole body, here's that metaphor of, of our physical body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part, or literally each one, does its work. I really like the way the New Living Translation translates this particular verse. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so one way we display the unity that is to exist among us, again, that is created by God's Holy Spirit, is when each of us collectively are fulfilling our role in the body of Christ. So let me suggest four ways we might apply uh, this particular text uh, this morning. There we go. Number one, the ministry of the church is not the obligation of a few, but the responsibility of all. all right. The preacher can't do it all. The youth minister can't do it all. The intern certainly can't do it all. Are you awake, Hunter? Okay. It's not the entire responsibility of the elders, the deacons, uh, the teachers. I mean, it's all of us, okay? And, and while some of us may feel more of a responsibility uh, to whom much is given, much is required, right? And uh, the, the five roles that, that Paul mentions, uh, you know, in, verses, uh, in verse 11 primarily, uh, certainly assumes some more responsibility. But it's not just their responsibility. It's all of us, right? Again, collectively, uh, working together. And, and I can't say enough, each of us has something to contribute. So number two, as the Spirit works through each person for the good of the church, each Christian is a gift to the church. Right? Now, we have a precedent for that in verse 11, where Paul emphasizes these, these five um, groups of equippers, leaders, mentors, coaches, whatever term we, we might want to uh, uh, apply to them. And again, they're the, they are the gift, individuals. But there are other texts in which I think Paul also emphasizes that each one of us is a gift. And again, his way of, of encouraging us, if not challenging each one of us, to have a part. There's something that we can do to bring glory to our God, bring glory to our Savior, to help this community experience the love of Christ in their own lives. In, in one of my first graduate classes, uh, way back in 1984 at Abilene Christian University, one of the first learn words I learned was paradigm. 
all those years I thought it was paradigm. And, and a paradigm, a paradigm is, is simply a model or it's an idea. Okay, it's, it's, it's a certain way that maybe we've done things. And so that becomes our model. That becomes uh, our paradigm. And so maybe this thought requires a little paradigm shift. Maybe, maybe looking at things just a little differently. So go ahead and put up number three. We might do well to have less concern about identifying gifts and more concern about being a gift. All right. How many of us have, have ever taken one of those uh, spiritual gift inventories? Have, have we done that ever before here? We, we probably all have. And, and there's some value in that, okay? Don't, don't misunderstand me. Right. But what if the church needs an encourager, and all of us have worked through those spiritual inventory tests, and for some reason, none of us have the gift of encouragement. Somebody's got to step up, right, and encourage, okay? And, and so maybe just thinking a little differently and, and not being so caught up. I mean, again, there's, there's a place for spiritual gift inventories. I hope we don't have one scheduled on the books. Okay. In, in, in looking at ourselves as the gift to the church. Now, how might that then change the way we respond? Well, there might be a number of, of, of things you might, you might think of. But, but again, I, I think if there's something that needs to be done and someone is not gifted that way, then, I mean, if it's the spirit who indwells us and the spirit who creates this unity, he's going to help us maintain it, and he's going to be with us as we become the gift and do whatever needs to be done. All right. So let's do well to have less concern about identifying specific gifts and more concern about being a gift. Right. Have you ever thought of yourself in those terms? that you are a gift to this church. And, and I understand, you know, we need to do that in a very humble kind of way. All right, Paul is going to go back next week in our final lesson in the rest of this chapter. He's going to go back to some behaviors. And so behavior kind of forms an inclusio, if you will. And it's really important on, on, how, on how we behave. So there's a certain attitude that we need to have. All right? But let me challenge each of us to look at ourselves as a gift to the church. And, and maybe, just kind of thought of this, maybe it's related to feeling called. All right, I, I, feel, I feel very much called to this position, to this church, to be your minister. All right. Paul has already used calling language in this text, and it's not just about the preacher. It's about every one of us who have answered the call of God to be a part of the body of Christ. Right? And so if each of us are called, then each of us is a gift to this church. And so how can you be a gift? Take the preacher to lunch, smile, encourage, 
I mean, there's all, all sorts of things. And again, one gift is not any more important than the other. The value is not in the gift, it's in the use of the gift. Number four, I think in, in this particular section of chapter four, uh, this, this subtle point is made by Paul, a lack of unity is a sign of immaturity. I mean, I mean the whole purpose of each part doing its work, again, is so that we might be mature in Christ, so the body can be built up, so the body can become in a, in a very visible, displayed, demonstrated form, a unified church. And if we're not unified, then, then we're lacking some maturity somewhere. Mentor, mentors aren't mentoring. Teachers aren't teaching. Encouragers aren't encouraging. Uh, somebody is not doing their part. Okay? And again, back to number one, it's the responsibility of all of us. The unity of the church is essential to God's eternal purpose. Unity must be cherished and cultivated. And again, if I could have you look to your left, to my right, the unity of believers is the second prong of our vision statement, and that unity begins right here at Lamar Avenue. It must be visible, it must be demonstrated to the world, and especially to the city of Paris. We're going to stand, and Hunter is going to lead us in one more song. This song is designed to encourage us to perhaps cause some reflection at where we are in our walk with the Lord. If you need to respond to him this morning, won't you come while we stand and sing?